We are uh, going to be in the book of Isaiah today. We're going to be in the first chapter and the last chapter. Isaiah chapter 1 and Isaiah 66. And we've been doing a series of messages through Isaiah, not verse by verse, through the, but a bunch of messages from the book of Isaiah for a while, a bunch of weeks. And as we have looked in this, one of the things that we see repeatedly is that God is displeased. He is not happy with what he sees in the hearts and lives of the people. Now, Isaiah was a prophet in Israel, the, the whole nation. He served mostly in the southern kingdom. But, but Isaiah spoke God's word to the people who were Israelites. And a and hundred years after Isaiah, Jeremiah was a prophet speaking God's word to the same people because they didn't listen to it the first time. So our challenge this morning, the big question this morning is, does God like what he sees in you? Well, does he? And I know what some of you are thinking, but hey, who, what's not to love, right? No. Does God, who knows you from the outside in and the inside out, he knows your thoughts before you think them, he knows the cry of your heart when you can't even put it into words. Does God like what he sees in you? So Isaiah 29, I know I said, 1 and 66. But Isaiah 29, 13 says, These people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but they have removed their hearts far from me. Jesus said almost the same words in Matthew 15 and Mark 7. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Would he say that about us? We were in church this morning. Some of us brought Bibles. Some of us brought digital Bibles. Uh, some of us uh, carried Bibles with our name embossed in gold. We, we came to church today. We had an offering. Some already gave online. Some gave in the offering today. Uh, we gave to support the work of God. And So would God be pleased with what He sees? Well, apparently God's not really excited about some offerings. Isaiah, we're going to look at chapter 1 and see Isaiah outlining the problem before he goes into the book, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then we start from chapter 1, we get all the way to chapter 66, and we see it's still an issue. After all this time and all this preaching, their hearts are still not with God. So in chapter 1, and we're start, starting in verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? You know, this would be as if Tim Pennant got up, introduced the offering, we passed the offering plates, and then Tim got back up and said, Why did you give an offering? And you'd say, What? These people are doing exactly what God said in His Word, and He says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Saith the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings and of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? What if when you were coming in today, instead of Dean Miller greeting you and handing you a bulletin and shaking your hand, what if he'd said, 
Why are you here today? That, that's what God's doing right here. Bring no more, verse 13, bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, all their special days. He said, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul, what? Hates. Wait a minute. This is God. And God just loves us, right? You know what? God does love you, but he does not love everything you do or everything I do. He hated their hypocrisy in their sacrifices. And then he says, they are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And then he gives an invitation. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before me. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Turn, please, to Isaiah 66. See, the Lord said, The people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Isaiah said that. Jesus said that. The Lord God said he was sick of the motions of religious behavior going on in the nation of Israel. Now, chapter 66, he brings up the same issues from chapter 1. Look in verse 3. He who kills a bull is as if he slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb, as if he breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering, as if he offers swine's blood. He said their heart was not in it, so it was an offense to God. Then he says, uh, he who burns incense, as if he blesses an idol, just as they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations, so I will choose their delusions and bring their fears on them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes, and chose that in which I do not delight." Does God like what he sees in you? Well, here's a big thing, that God despised their sacrifices. So here's something you need to know, and we need to remember. God is not impressed by your religious activities, by your religious behavior, by your religious rituals. God is not impressed. God is not impressed that you were here today. We are, right? We only see the outside. You walk in, you participate, 
You sing, and some sing more beautifully than others, but we all open our mouth and worship the Lord. And, and so you can, on the outside, give the appearance of somebody who loves God. You could even say, bless the Lord. You could say, amen. But God knows the heart. People are impressed by the outside. We are sometimes impressed by the outside. I, I was involved in a church when I was young in the, in the faith, and, and I was in the Marine Corps, and I was really starting to grow because Kathy and I were very serious, not yet engaged, but very serious in our relationship, and both uh, planning for marriage and me praying that she wouldn't uh, change her mind and her praying that I wouldn't get hurt in the Marine Corps so that we could end up... Uh, getting engaged and getting married. And I was involved in a church, and honestly, honestly, it seemed like if you got a haircut and you put on a suit, they'd ask you to teach a Sunday school class. One time when we were in Texas, we had moved there, and uh, we, we were going to Bible school, and we were uh, visiting around to some different churches, and we visited this one church, and the pastor asked me where, what church we came from, and I told him the church we had come out of, and oh, he was excited. He wanted us to join the church. He wanted me to teach a Sunday school class, and he didn't even ask if I was saved. For all he knew, I came out of that church because they threw me out. He didn't know. They didn't, just for clarification. <laughs> but God is not impressed by religious behavior, but people are. And when someone seems to do the right things, say the right things, we tend to be very impressed. We see a person who seems to have the, the spiritual markers, you know? They, they seem to have a heart for God from the outside, and so we trust them. We would listen to them. False teachers look like good teachers till you listen to them long enough. God sees the outside and the inside at the same time. He doesn't have a delay, all right, inside time, outside time. He sees it all. And God can spot a fake that would fool the greatest experts on earth. He did repeatedly. That's what he's talking about in Isaiah. The, the chief priest, the high priest, the servants of God, some. Obviously, Isaiah was following God, but some of the people who were supposed to be serving God worked. They were serving themselves. And he rejected their offerings, and he refused to listen to their prayers because they were not trusting and following him. Isn't that a weird concept? They were praying, and God wasn't listening? One of the things we love is that God always hears our prayers. Well, if you are choosing to live in rebellion against God, he does not. He chooses not to hear your prayer until you pray the prayer of repentance. Now, you say, well, I'm already saved. Great. Now, pray the prayer of repentance in your relationship. When Kathy and I got married, I said, I do, and I still do. She said, I do, and she still does. But every now and then, we have to apologize to each other. 
to restore the closeness of the relationship. Occasionally, we annoy, annoy each other. Hard to picture, I know. I know. If you were writing a book about the ideal marriage, you'd write Terry and Kathy. No. It's great, but it's not ideal. So God sees the heart. He knows the whole truth. Does God like what he sees in you? God is not impressed by your religious behavior. And secondly, God does not desire outward obedience. He desires love and obedience from your heart. Big difference. Now, some of you have kids. Not everybody does, but some do. When you had kids in your house and they were growing up, Did you want them to just obey on the outside? No, you wanted them to obey on the inside. And you could tell the difference, right? You could see most of the time whether they were giving lip service or heart service to the instructions that you had in their life. Well, God always sees it. He knows the truth. He wants only what's genuine. Now, After Kathy and I got married, we had this guy at our church who honestly said, nobody can tell the difference between bologna and ham. They taste just the same. (laughs) He's now a pastor. Hopefully he has a change of heart. But you know what? As soon as we could afford ham, I never ate bologna again. We ate bologna because we could afford bologna. Well, we could afford ham. I eat a ham sandwich three or four times a week. But he couldn't tell the difference. Now, how many of you can tell the difference between ham and bologna? A few of you didn't raise your hands. Hopefully, your, your muscles just wouldn't quite work right, and you're not one of those. But... See, God could see they were going through the motions. They were giving God baloney, and God wanted the real thing. And God knows your heart. This is really amazing. He knows your heart better than you do. He knows your heart because he thinks about your thoughts. He thinks about your actions. He knows your heart. He is an expert in every field, in every life. He has a keen understanding of all the little nuances of behavior and the nuances of thought. Years ago, Jim Reeves and I went to Mexico. Steve Rubio was here a while back preaching for us, and Steve's been a friend of mine for a lot of years. And I was supposed to preach for him later this year, but we had to cancel it because I'm going to have knee replacement surgery and won't be able to stand up and preach that week. But but Steve went with Jim and I and and, uh, some other guys, and we went down to Mexico. We were helping support uh, a Bible college there in Hermosillo, Mexico. And uh, we went down there to... Uh, give some musical instruments, and then I was going to preach and teach. And so we got stopped at the border, and for some reason it really stressed them out that we had so many vehicles, so many instruments. They thought we were going into Mexico to sell them. 
And we had documentation clearly done that it was a donation to the Institute that they were going to use it there. Uh, but I guess they wanted some money from us to prove we were genuine. And we didn't have money to give them. So Steve was inter- going back and forth. It took about four hours for us to get across the border. And during that time, Steve turns to Jim Reeves and and Jim and Jerry had been married about 33 years at the time. It's been a lot more now. But uh, Jim said, or Steve said to Jim, Mr. Reeves, you've been married for a long time. How long does it take before you begin to understand your wife? And Jim said, I have no idea. I'm not there yet. <laughs> You know, honestly, we have people in our church been married 60 years, and every now and then they look at each other and go, huh? God never looks at you and wonders what's going on. He knows the whole truth. He knows every part of the truth. So he doesn't just want you to fake it till you make it. He wants you to live it because it's real in your heart and life. He does not desire outward obedience and he's certainly not impressed by religious behavior. Look at verse 1 of chapter 66. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. I have a recliner chair at home. I have a recliner chair. Kathy gets to sit in it when I'm not there. Um, now, most of the time, it's the only place right now that I can sit that's comfortable. And, uh, but God, imagine, you know, the recliner chair and you flip up that little thing to support your legs. And heaven is God's throne and earth is that ottoman or that thing that flips up on the recliner chair. See, God is so massive We can't even comprehend it. When Isaiah tries to put it in words that we could understand, we still can't comprehend. The universe is beyond our capacity to comprehend. We send out probes out there to see how many stars there are. And you know what we find out? There's more than we imagined. And so we sent a probe into this area that's there's not very many stars and thinking maybe that's the edge of the universe. You know what they found out? It's almost like another universe in there. There's so many more stars. It's just so far away we couldn't see them even with the Hubble telescope. So Isaiah's reminding us of the awesomeness of God that we looked at in chapters 40 through 46. That He is the one and only God. He knows the end from the beginning. He's the creator who spoke the world into existence. He is the one God, the only God, the awesome God. And Revelation 21 reminds us of this awesome holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down uh, as a bride adorned for a husband, uh, down from heaven. And verse 22 of that chapter says, John says, I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So here they're coming to this temple and they're giving sacrifices and they're worshiping and God said, I don't need the temple. I'm God. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? 
for all those things my hand has made. God does not need a temple. The temple was there to show a little bit of the glory of God and to give people a way to connect with God. But the universe is too small to show the awesomeness of God. And then he says, I created all this stuff. The stones of the temple, massive stones, God created the rock. The gold in the temple, God created the gold. The cloth, the silver, the cedars, everything grown, made by God, or fashioned from things grown and made by God. Years ago, I was hiking uh, Mount Wrightston, and I got up to the top. Pete Rice, an evangelist we support, he was here in November, and and, uh, Pete is a, a friend, and I went hiking with his son, Peter, and we went up Mount, uh, Mount Rice, and we got up to the very top, and there's an ammo can, and you open the ammo can, and there's where people write notes. And from the top of that, you can look out across the valley, and there's a mine there, and there's slag piles from the mine. And somebody wrote in there just this obnoxious, obscene article, ranting and raving about the raping and pillaging of earth. And the very next person who wrote after them said, How did you get here? Did you drive a car and then hike? Your hiking boots, were they made of plants? Because if you can't grow it, you have to mine it. Did your pants have a zipper or a button? It's all this long article about all this thing this guy probably had while hiking up the mountain that had to be mined. God said, everything you mine is mine because he created it. He put it there. So he says, for all those things, my hand has made. And all those things exist, says the Lord. He made it happen. God created all of it. It's interesting Uh, We have done some sending DNA things to Ancestry, and mine got messed up, and I have to do it again. But uh, it's been fun for us to see the difference between some of our kids. They have the same parents, the same grandparents, but completely different DNA mix. You know who mixed that DNA? God did. And you know what? You can look around and you think, I think God mixed it up a little bit, but the truth is, you came out the way God intended. With the strengths and weaknesses God allowed. So your life can then bring glory to God. And and so now Isaiah through speaking, the Holy Spirit speaking through Isaiah the prophet says, here's what God wants to see in your life and mine. He's not focused on the outward appearance. He really wants the heart. So look in the middle of verse 2. But on this one will I look. 
This means God's going to give attention to, pay attention to this, be happy to see this. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit. Now this poor is marked by meekness and modesty, not arrogant and proudful as Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So modesty, meekness, not pride and arrogance. God doesn't want you to be the the speaker who says, God spoke to me and gave me a message you need to hear. No. Be, Be humble. Seek God. And then contrite. I thought this was kind of ironic that I can hardly walk, but it means crippled. But it's not talking about a physical crippling. It's a spiritual one. Sorrowful over the sin and offenses so that there's a brokenness in your heart. Have you as a parent or as a grandparent told one of your kids or grandkids to say they're sorry? And they say, I'm sorry. And you know they're not, right? Maybe you're encouraging them to lie. I'm not sure. I've always wrestled with that. Contrite is a a humbleness, a brokenness over your sin. Sometimes somebody can hurt you, offend you, and so they come up and they apologize to you, and it's almost like they're demanding your forgiveness. That's not an apology. If they're really humble, they're broken, they're contrite. There's a sorrow there. Jesus gives us a masterful illustration of this when he talks about a Pharisee and a publican who were uh, praying. And the publican, that was a tax gatherer. And we're not overly fond of tax gatherers in our culture, but in their culture, the tax gatherers sent the money to the enemy. So they weren't raising funds for the nation of Israel. They were raising funds for the nation of Rome. And so the, the tax people worked for the enemy. And so uh, a publican and a Pharisee who was supposed to be the elite of the Jewish people, they had memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They didn't just memorize the biblical text. They memorized the Torah, the rabbinical teaching about the text. And so they had memorized and memorized and memorized and could quote it. And they were the religious elite in Israel. And when the Pharisee prayed, he said, God, I thank you I'm not like other people or like that, that tax collector over there. I tithe and I do this and that. And the Pharisee, or the the tax gatherer, the, he's there on his knees with a brokenness before God and cries out for God to forgive his sins. And God said, which of those two went home justified? The one whose heart was broken before God. Not the one who was self-righteous and proud of himself, but the one who had a brokenness, a contrite heart. That's the one God looks at. And then Matthew said, Blessed are those who mourn over their sinfulness, for they will be comforted. 
And then he adds, who trembles at my word. This is the one who got, one who is poor and of a contrite heart and who trembles at my word. This tremble is an, an appropriate awe and fear of God trembles at his word. Matthew said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God is not impressed with your religious behavior, and God does not desire outward obedience. He desires love and obedience from your heart. So right now, You are moving closer to God or drifting away from Him. At any moment, whether you're sitting in church or sitting in a field leaning against a tree, you're either moving closer to God or moving away from God, depending on what's going on in your head and in your heart in that inner person. Are you a humble servant? Are you one who serves willingly? And cheerfully, yesterday, we had the Grand Prix. And I was here at the beginning and wasn't able to stay for the whole thing. And uh, we had people just just pitching in and serving. I don't know, Sherry fixed the kitchen, fixed the food in the kitchen. And, and I don't know who helped set up the table and chairs. I guess, did you guys do that? Jeff and Sherry did that. And then afterward, when all the kids and most of the adults were in here having fun, I heard, I didn't see it, but I heard that Sherry was out there putting away chairs and tables. Why? Because Jeff told her, woman, go do it. (laughs) No. I'll tell you one thing, Jeff is not that dumb. But, But for another reason, she just wanted to serve. You can see it in the heart of people when they want to serve. Are you a humble servant? Are you sorrowful over your sin? Years ago, Norm Shiley was chairman of our deacons, and we met with a guy, and we were talking with him about an issue in his life. And he said, oh, come on. Man, you got to give me a break. It's the only vice I have left. And Norm and I looked at each other like, did we really hear that? Did you know that God doesn't look at you and say, you know what, I'll let you get away with that one sin. Just that one, okay? All the rest? No. God doesn't do that. He said if you sin in one way, you break the law. You sin in all. You're a lawbreaker. Are you sorrowful for your sin? Even the little ones? Even the ones nobody knows about? Because you've never been caught? Do you respect and honor His Word? I was in a house once, and they had a Bible there, a big family Bible, you know. And it was on a table that had linen on it, and then lace on it, and then the Bible on it, and then candles on it. And I, I got looking at the Bible, and I started reading it, and I turned the page. Oh, the, the woman in the house got mad. Don't touch that. You know why we have Bibles? To use them. We don't worship them. We don't prop them on the side and say, Oh, look, 
It's a beautiful Bible. Oh, genuine leather. Oh. You use it. You don't have respect for the Bible by putting it on a shrine. You have respect for the Bible by putting it in your heart and life. By reading it, by seeking to understand it, and by trying to adjust your life to correct it to the Bible. The Bible is sometimes described as a plumb line. How many of you know what a plumb line is? All the old people and some of the younger ones. Okay, A plumb line is a weight that's on the bottom of a string, usually. And you'd hold it up against a wall. And to make sure you were doing the wall straight, say a block wall, you'd have the plumb line there, and it would show the line being straight. <laughs> I messed with a friend who was doing a sheetrock wall. I put a big magnet on the other side of the wall. And the plumb line is swinging toward the wall, and he's looking at it like... How is that possible? <laughs> it was a miracle. No, it was pastor messing around. But See, when you notice the plumb line and the wall are at odds, you don't correct the plumb line to match the wall. You correct the wall to match the plumb line. Are you adjusting your life to correct it to the Word of God? What adjustment have you made in your life this year? Because you're reading and studying the Word of God. If you can't tell me something, then either you are so close to perfect, God should just take you home now like Enoch, or you're not being diligent to study and read God's Word. It's living, it's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It shows, it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's why we keep going through it. That's why we keep reading it, studying it. Not because we're dumb, but because God keeps revealing Himself through it as we grow closer and closer and closer to Him. Are you trying to adjust your life to obey God and follow His Word? Do you willingly, cheerfully submit to His Lordship even in painful circumstances? And by the way, you submit to His Lordship by also submitting to the authorities over you. Kids, you cannot disobey your parents and show respect for God. Can't happen. So a lot of people judge their relationship with God based on a very faulty metric. How do I feel? Oh, Jesus and I feel close today. Are you? Or is it a feeling? You see, that's the wrong question. It's not how do I feel about Jesus, but it's how does God feel? Does God feel close to you? Does God like what He sees in you? He wants to be close. Does He like what He sees in you? Matthew 23, 37, Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often have I wanted to Gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. 
I've never been around a barn with a fire or anything, but I've been where there was a storm. And after the storm, the hen lifts the wings and all the little chickies come running out. Jesus said, I want to protect you. I want to get so close to you, we're touching. But they would not, he said. You were not willing. He even offers to meet you part way. James 4 says, draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. You start moving toward Him and He responds moving toward you. God is not impressed by your religious behavior and God does not desire outward obedience. He wants your heart, love and obedience from your heart. And right now, you are in spiritual motion. You're either moving closer to God or you're drifting away. Spiritually, there is no status quo. There is no moment of equilibrium. You're in constant flow, closer to the Lord or drifting away from the Lord. God said, the one I look on, the one I'm pleased with, is the one who's poor of spirit, has a contrite spirit who trembles at my word. So let's go back where we started. Does God like what he sees in you? I can't answer that for you. I have a hard enough time answering that for me. Take a moment. Ask yourself that. Talk to God. He will listen. While you're doing that, someone will come and pray a play and we'll sing a, a verse in just a minute.